Welcome to the Wags of SCI podcast, where we discuss life, love, and caregiving after spinal cord injury. Hosted by Elena Pauly and Brooke Paget. Both of our partners are quadriplegics. And after connecting online in 2017, we began the advocacy and support group WAGS of SCI, which is an acronym for Wives and Girlfriends of Spinal Cord Injury. We know firsthand the challenges that come with living this lifestyle. And our mission is to spread education, awareness, and positivity from our unique perspectives. So join us each week as we tackle deep discussions around balancing life as a caregiver and a lover to someone with a spinal cord injury. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Wags of SCI podcast. Here we go. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Wags of SCI podcast with your hosts, Elena Pauly and Brooke Paget. We are super happy you've joined us today. We are going to talk about our latest appearance on the Washington Post Live and just give you guys a recap of that. But before we get started, big shout out to this episode's main sponsor, Robin Wishart and her team at Wishart Brain and Spine Law. As always, you know about her. We talk about her a lot. She is the Wags of SCI official advocate. Um, She supports us behind the scenes for our own cases and also works with a lot of WEGS of SCI behind the scenes, supporting in places like navigating insurance, benefits, helping with home support, setting up appointments, doctor specialists in your area, and also being a resource. So she is a Harvard-educated lawyer who has her own practice here in Vancouver, but she works around North America to ensure that you have the resources that you need. So she works exclusively with the WEGS of SCI community. If you need to speak to her, you can visit our website, WEGS of SCI ci.com slash legal resources. You can find us also on um, the homepage. If you click on the top there, you'll see a little tab called legal resources. You can find information about how Robin works with us and what exactly she does and how she can help you. Because let's face it, we all need an advocate in this community, in this space. (laughs) It can be very hard without one. So you can also visit her website, brainandspanlaw.com for more direct information. Also, a big shout out and thank you to Annalisa and John, owners of Rolling in Paradise. This is a VA approved vendor supporting our WAGS of SCI owned businesses. They provide adaptive equipment for anyone who needs it hand cycles, everyday wheelchairs, sport wheelchair, wheelchairs, off road mobility, shower wheelchairs, lifts, stands, power assist, accessories, anything that you need as far as adaptive equipment for an active lifestyle, they have an option for you. They can also work with your insurance providers to make sure you get what you need. So make sure you support Annalisa and John and visit rollinginparadise.com. So now back to the podcast. We're excited today to talk to you about our appearance on the Washington Post Live. So that was last week. That was fun, wasn't it, Elena? <laughs> mm-hmm. That was really, really fun. It was really nice to be able to use our voice once again for the caregivers in our community and actually for all caregivers alike, um, whether you are a parent and you are taking care of your children or if you are an adult caregiver to your parents, elderly parents or family members. Um, I believe that was really, really well highlighted by all, all of us, the other two guests as well. Um, the founder of care.com and girls, the second founder was, um, the founder of girls who code. So for, for speaking up for women and, 
being the caregivers to children. I mean, and then of course, Brooke and I were the, you know, joined by um, another woman that was, that was the, I want to say her partner was the caregiver from the Reef Foundation. So that was an interesting perspective to have as well. Um, I think she made some valid points around the, you know, the way that she was presented and the way that she was, the way she looked was all thanks due to her caregiver, her part, her husband. So there were some really, really nice perspectives coming together. And of course, your wags of SCI, Elena and Brooke were there to represent, represent this community of fierce caregivers all yeah. around the globe. Yeah. And I think it was really interesting, like, um, just to be able to I just thought it was really awesome of the Washington Post to um, bring us on and have like a real life perspective. Because, you know, like we said, when we were talking in the live, like we are just normal women that are caregivers to our partners and that advocate for caregivers. We don't have a foundation behind us. We don't have corporate money or corporate interests. We don't have any other interests other than advocating for women in our situation. We don't have any globalist (laughs) agendas. Let's just say it like that. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And like getting that across, like I thought we did a pretty good job of that. And for anybody else, um, for, for anybody listening right now that wants to read the transcript of the live, you can find it on our website. Um, just on the homepage, you can click on it. It'll direct you to the live, but you can also just search Washington Post live, um, the caregiving crisis transcript. And it's, it's available for everyone to read if you're not a huge fan. Cause I believe the, um, the actual live itself was 40 minutes. So if you want to, if you want to just read it quickly with your coffee, the transcript is available for free. You don't have to sign in or be a member of the Washington post. And then you can also, if you want to watch the video, you can find it on our website. We have a link right on the homepage. So yeah. So the lady who interviewed us was Leanne Caldwell and she is a young woman, I would say, I don't know, in her 40s. And she actually started off the interview talking about how she had a friend who actually was a caregiver to her husband and she couldn't be hired because she was the wife. This is when we were talking about spousal caregivers and our advocacy for spousal caregivers. And she actually was talking about how her friend had to go and get hired at the nursing company and then her husband had to hire her through the nursing company in order for her to be hired, which was, I'm like thinking to myself when she was saying this, I can't, you know, I can say we've heard this before. This is a common thing that happens. And uh, I'm really glad that she brought that up. And it's interesting how she had a real personal connection to quote the caregiving crisis that has happened, you know, since COVID. So Elena, what do you think is like, I, I know you were talking about how, when COVID started, we all had to kind of, you know, pull up our bootstraps and take over for mm-hmm. the lack of nursing. What, what, what are your views on that? Of well, what happened think, there? Honestly, so I think it's really important to start off by saying that nursing was available. It's not like there was a shortage of nursing. It was our own decisions to take a step back and analyze what the hell just happened, which was the crisis of a pandemic, a global pandemic was here to stay. And we kept on saying, Oh, it'll just be a couple more weeks. Oh, a couple more weeks of, you know, hunker down, stay home, stay safe, keep your neighbors, keep your friends safe. 
um, do the right thing. So we did. Everybody, well, and I this wanted. Was, and Elena, this was at the time that like we didn't know what was going on. And for all of the listeners who listened to our podcast during that time, like none of us really knew what no. was actually happening with COVID, right? We were all like, oh, right. uh, no one knows anything. So we were kind of just like, better to be safe than sorry, right? Well, and I think it's also important to note that we respected the government's, yeah, you know, policies and rules and, and everything. We did our part. <laughs> we definitely did our part. I mean, to the extent of spraying down our groceries with peroxide before they entered our fridge yeah. and having showers from every single time you go in and out of your house and spraying um, our feet off. <laughs> yeah, spraying our feet off. Um, we're laughing about this now because we know so many more other things about what just happened. But yeah. um, <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> what just yeah, happened? totally. <laughs> you know, I feel like we've been in a time warp for the past three years. Yeah. It's it's literally been like what the, what the hell just happened? And um, anyway, so back to your question about caregiving. So we we all. We all, as in Brooke and I, Brooke doesn't have care that comes into her home. So I guess me um, pulled back and said, okay, let's think about this. If this disease, if this pandemic, this disease is quickly, rapidly spread and it's very aggressive and my partner could be intubated, which was literally our worst nightmare because Dan's intubation experience in Cuba was pretty well having a garden hose shoved down your throat. So... Mm -hmm. He, I know there's been a whole heap of trauma around that. And so we were really fearful. And I think that the media did a great job at making sure that everybody stayed fearful for a very long time, because again, it was the unknown. Mm -hmm. And um, so well, not only that, Elena, in here in BC, where we're from, we weren't, no one was allowed to go into the hospital. It didn't matter about your vaccine status yeah. at the time. Nobody was allowed to go into the hospital. Well, there so was we no would have had to left our partners, right? right? Yeah. And there was no vaccine. The vaccine thing came up not that long ago. Like, I think it's, we, we sort of still forget that, that there, the, it's been like 18 months. Right. And a lot has happened in that time. Yeah. So what happened and to a lot of women in our community too, not just myself, um, we, like you said, pulled up our bootstraps and said, no, no, we're not going to have anybody coming into our home. Like we're not going to see our family, our friends, Brooke and I didn't even see each other for how long. A long time. Like two we were years. virtual for so long. For a very long time. Um, and, and so that meant taking on the caregiver duties that you would have the respite from. For us, that's about an hour and a half each morning. So it, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it is. It's so much. It's, you know, 1.5 times seven days a week. You know, you do the math. That's still quite a bit of time and space and not even it's not even about the time necessarily it's about the the heavy lifting like I was thinking about this last night like the difference even in weight between Dan and I like he's not a small guy 220 pounds six foot two he's not a small guy and so um you know, for somebody like myself, who I, I'm not an OT or a PT, sorry, I don't know necessarily the right ways to transfer. Sometimes I do these jerking motions where I hurt myself. And that's exactly what happened. I completely hurt myself. And I know a lot of women did this out of fear that their partners or they would contract COVID-19. And I mean, anyway, so the whole thing well, about... 
But Elena, though, think about it this way. It's like you're lifting physical weight, your partner, like you may not be used to doing it as much. But also, what about the weight of fear and the weight of the unknown on all of our shoulders during this time? That adds so much more that people don't usually think about that. It's like, you know, that itself as an added stress, even if you're not consciously aware of it it's still there. And then not just that, the collective stress. So think about all of that on your shoulders, as well as lifting physical weight, like that in itself is like that, that you're going to get injured, you're going to get, you're going to play into that fear based model, everyone did, right? Well, and I think that's a good point, too, is that when you do sustain an injury, and you do have these emotions that are bottled up in your body and stored and stuck, that it's even harder to heal. Mm-hmm. You have to do the extra, extra work on that. Like you have to re- release that first before you can do the physical healing. And I, and I don't think that a lot of us or any of us really had the time to do that. You know, a yeah. lot of, a lot of it's people true. were still forced to go into work and come home and care for their partners and children and, or elderly parents. And that did create a crisis during Mm -hmm. the pandemic. And I remember drowning on many occasions, just sitting there crying, being like, Oh my God, we need help. Somebody help us. And uh, there, there wasn't really at that point. It was sort of like, okay, you're on your own. Um, And to be honest, uh, we did alleviate the healthcare system and the nursing that was really, you know, the hospitals were, very, very full. And one of the, one of the worst things that we could have done was to protect our partners. One of the worst things, I mean, we had to protect our partners. We had to do everything we could in our power to be the only person that goes out for groceries. You know, the, the only yeah. person that leaves the house, your partner's yeah. now stuck at home, which if you think about it for mental health, that is just like, ex- that's extremely toxic. Staying at home, staying locked up, no social anything no no seeing your friends your family no socializing with the public no activities everything's closed you're stuck at home you're basically a prisoner of your own environment so and on the other you know on the other hand we're very lucky to live in Canada where we do have the amenities that we have and and the things that we have in our home like a stocked fridge and a clean bed and a safe home and that is for sure that that is undoubtedly something that we are very grateful for and should be should be very grateful for. And I feel like being somebody that's lived in a different country, I feel like I saw a lot of that, that people who were and everybody was fearful that people sort of lost sight of that. So, you know, yeah. saying I'm a prisoner of my own home. Well, <laughs> there are other perspectives around that. And, yeah. you know, that yeah. that can't be not noted. Yeah, for sure. So she, yeah, that's a really good point. She, so the first kind of bit of the interview, we get into what Elena was just talking about, about how um, we kind of relieved the healthcare, healthcare system. But, you know, we didn't mention like how, you know, you're talking about we're lucky in Canada to have programs and stuff. Think of the additional load on not just caregivers who are partners, but like caregivers who have elderly parents or children who they work while the the child or the parent is in a program or even um, PT was canceled. You know, all of my husband's like activities that he goes to that is a relief for me because someone else is is taking over the care not not necessarily the care but they're they're occupied for a little while and it kind of gives you a little bit of that relief that was all canceled 
And so here's the thing. I remember when the pandemic started and when we were going through this, Alina, we both were like talking to each other and we were kind of like, okay, where's our support? Because I remember in Mm -hmm. Canada, we couldn't even apply for any sort of support for caregivers. Like there were so many people. Yeah, Yeah. there were so many loopholes. There were so many income restrictions where it's like, it didn't matter. You couldn't really just apply and get some relief. It was crazy. And we were just kind of like, where's our support? Like, I know, you know, our government here in Canada, you know, to the rest of the world, especially, you would think, oh, they're so progressive. And in our perspective, there's so many problems that come and we could do a whole other podcast on this. So I'll just touch lightly here. There are so many problems that come with public health care. And um, it is not just this amazing um, blessing, even though we're lucky to have access to it, there are so many problems that come with it. And so during that time, it, it just you, you kind of get grouped into, oh, everyone is the same and, and you know, the, they're giving away money to everybody instead of just the people who actually need it. And people are taking advantage of that. And it makes it so that the people who actually really do need it don't get the support that they need. And so, you know, when all was said and done, we were kind of like, okay, we are just le- literally being shafted. And I remember you and I, we set up a virtual meeting with our MP David Ebby, and we were just discussing with him. And this was, man, this was like six months into COVID. It was still very fresh and new. And we were saying, listen, this is a huge problem. This is what's happening. And to be honest, they're busy doing other things. And so I was glad when you mentioned that in the live, when you were saying like, listen, everybody, we always say this, but we need to hammer this down. Everybody is going to either be a caregiver or need a caregiver. It's not going to skip anybody. Everybody's going to get old. Everybody's going to need help. And so now is the time that we have to use our voices. And now is the time that we have to like make sure, because here's the thing, we knew this was happening almost three years ago. And now everybody's catching on and saying, oh my God, it's a caregiving crisis that's happening now. And it's like, well, why do we have to wait until it gets to a crisis in order to put the necessarily support necessary supports and care in place so that it doesn't get to this position? Well, I mean, we have, it has to be that way because it has to hit home and affect people personally before they think, oh God, this is an outdated policy that no longer makes sense as it doesn't really serve enough of the community members that are in it that are paying into this. And that's why I think I was actually so surprised when we had this invitation to be part of this and and we didn't know exactly what the program plan was going to be or the questions that we were going to be asked. And we really just showed up to, to, you know, (laughs) We um, did. We were just. I wasn't even nervous. You weren't nervous either. We were just kind of like, "Hi." <laughs> no, not until my internet went out because apparently my modem overheated, and then I, I lost connection on national TV. So that was really fun too. But, <laughs> but they, she saved it really well. This lady was a pro. Like she did a really good job. She was just like, oh, "Okay, I guess she's not here. Let's keep talking." <laughs> so thank you, Shaw Cable, for that. And when I did call them, they gave me two days refund for my internet. Oh, God. So. So thank you for that $10 as well. Um, But yeah, I was surprised it was $10. I was like, okay, that's great. (laughs) But anyway, so that happened. Um, If you watch, if you watch to see what happened there, that's probably the most entertaining part of the whole interview. (laughs) 
<laughs> that was me, really funny. Me popping back up at a totally different in a totally different part of my house in the dark. <laughs> but anyways, no, in all seriousness, it was very <laughs> insightful to hear other people's perspectives from other caregiver angles. And the the truth is every single person is going to need one. Everybody's going to need a caregiver. But one of the the biggest things that kind of sticks in my mind, and I, I've been thinking about this for years and thinking about like the generations that are younger than us, like our, our friends, kids age. And I sort of think about when we're going to be older, when we're going to be in our 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and we're going to be living a lot longer than than the average, I think the average uh, lifespan now is in the 80s. And I believe it's going to be a lot longer than than that. And we're going to need caregivers. And if we don't use our voices right now for the caregivers in our lives, and we don't make it appealing to become a caregiver, to get into the caregiving field, whatever that looks like, being a nurse, being... Um, working in long-term care facilities or helping people with disabilities or, you know, mental and physical or anything, anything that is under the caregiving umbrella. If that is not appealing to the generations that are younger than us, then we're going to have absolutely nobody going into these career fields and we're going to have nobody taking care of us. And that is what I mean by the future is looking pretty grim. So it's, you know, and even, even children, I, you know, even children taking care of their parents, like when the pandemic hit, I was going between my mom and my partner and it was an absolute shit show. I had the help of my aunt, thank goodness, because, and I got to share power of attorney with her, but even then the two of us splitting tasks from taking my mom to appointments, bringing her prescriptions. I was surprised at how little the long-term care facility even did for her. They were, you know, there were days that she was calling me in panic to get there to help her put on her depends or go to the bathroom or help her, you know, bring a meal to her bed and help her eat. I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked that a, I was her primary visitor, which meant that I was her primary nurse. And I would jump up, didn't matter what I was doing, and I would drive there and they would let me in. I would sign in, do the whole thing and uh, take care of her. And I, I remember thinking, who can do this? If you had a nine to five job and you get a phone call from your parent in long-term care where this is a trusted facility that you've left in the capable hands or you think so of nursing and staffing there. There were many times where she would ring her call bell, which is sort of like a life alert and nobody would show up. And the same excuse that I got was, I'm sorry, but we just don't have enough staff on right now. We just can't do it. And and so there were staffing shortages. So that was a that was a, such an eye opening experience. I can't even tell you. And then the caregiving, of course, before my mom passed away. My mom passed away um, on April twenty third. So just a few months ago, I think it's been what six seven months. And before that, when I when she was diagnosed with cancer, they wouldn't let me in because I was not vaccinated to see my mom, not until she moved to hospice. While Meanwhile, I was caring for her in my home, in her long-term care facility going in and out, but I was not allowed to see her for the last few months of her, of her life. 
So there, you know, what we always say, and I don't want to get too far into this because I am deeply, deeply still wounded and hurt by the, the everything that just happened. It's still shakes me to think about, you know, I have to accept what is, but when it comes to being a caregiver, nobody gives a flying fuck about you. That's what I'm going to say. And it's the absolute truth. There is no support. There's, there aren't, there are no benefits. It's not recognized as a position, you know, as a position that is valued in our society. It is unpaid labor, unpaid domestic labor, caregiving labor in your home and unfortunately predominantly are females that are taking on these positions and one of the other things that i really really that stood out to me during the pandemic when i hurt myself i said to dan i can't even afford to go for a massage right now like i don't have any any and like i don't have insurance i think maybe at that time i didn't have any any benefits or coverage when the pandemic first hit and then, and just thinking about it, I mean, like I could afford to go for a massage, but why should I have to pay for it out of pocket now that I've been injured doing unpaid domestic labor, unpaid caring for my partner? I don't get paid to do half the duties, any of the duties. I don't get paid for anything, nothing to do anything. You don't get paid for anything. And a lot of our caregivers in our community don't get paid for anything and they don't have any benefits when they're actually going to hurt themselves. Like to me, that was mind blowing during a pandemic. And like you said, to apply for caregiver benefits was an absolute nightmare. They put a whole bunch of loopholes on. You can apply for caregiver benefits if the facility that you're, that you're the person that, that you're caring for is shut down for during the pandemic. So if that facility, so let's say your partner goes to uh, physical therapy, if that clinic is shut down and then that was one of the, that was one of the recommendations or sorry, one of the um, criteria. And then there were a few others. Um, I think it was how many hours per week. And anyways, it made it near, it made it impossible to really apply. So you, you have people like myself running between long-term care facility to running home but not able to tap into the caregiver benefits. It was more so geared towards, I believe parents whose kids were staying home from school that they could, they could apply for it, but only for a short time and they would be paying back a lot. Yeah, it was, it was a joke. And I, there was was a lot of, it was a great way for the government to make more money off of these people who are struggling in the community by taxing them. I was also going to say it was a great way for our government to go out and say, we're doing stuff to help when in actuality you go into the fine print and (laughs) there's not really anything. I, you know, I, I was listening to your story and one thing that was really triggering me and what continues to trigger me is like, you, you know, you're saying they don't give a flying fuck about you, but no one talks about the truth of it. No one talks about, okay. So if you go and search in caregiving support, spinal cord injury, caregiving support, or any sort of support, a lot of different foundations will come up and a lot of different government websites will come up. And on those government websites specifically, they will talk about how caregivers and family caregivers are the backbone of the community. They will talk about how much you are needed as a caregiver, as a family caregiver. But they will also say in that same space, they will say, unfortunately, family caregivers are not paid, but this doesn't matter because you're so appreciated and you really make a difference. And here's how you're appreciated. And honestly, it makes me so angry 
because it it's like a cop out. It's like, oh, we are so happy you're relieving the healthcare system. We are so happy that you're caring for all these people. They could be on the healthcare system and we could have to pay more money and tax people more and this and that. And it could cost us more, but you're doing it for free. So thank you. And you should feel very appreciative of that. And it's like, okay, that is just, it's it's snarky to me in a way. Like it's almost like, this is what you're doing. And here's your smack in the face at the same time, but just take it, right? And there's like, there's just, there's not many websites or any sort of resources that tell it actually like it is. And like it is, is like you said, like you just went off about how there is no payment. There is no benefits. There is the women that are, are getting paid in certain states in the United States. There are so many things they have to go through in order to do that. Most of them don't even know that they can. I think there are eight states out of 50 that compensate spousal caregivers and I know that, you know, we had an ambassador that was heavily involved in the system in California and she was making $10 an hour and it was, there's a cap. So like we talk about all these gray areas and how complicated it is, but when you get down to it, when you're actually given a chance to be valued as far as, okay, here is some support so you can take care of yourself and your family and you're not just stressing yourself out and trying to work at the same time or not even being able to work. Here's some compensation for you. And it it just, it doesn't work that way. It's almost like, here's all the hoops you have to jump through. Here's all the things you have to do. And then you may get something, but if you make more than, you know, $2,500 a month, you'll get, you won't be able to get paid. And it's just, it's just loophole after restriction, after slap in the face. And it is so unnecessary because there are so, there is so much money that is being spent right now in the hands of our governments, in the hands of our insurance companies that could go towards this and be used so much better and create a better society that is empowered. But unfortunately, (laughs) when you trace it back and you look hard enough and you follow the money you know, then this is a whole other podcast that we could get into, but they don't actually want you to be healthy and successful and empowered. They don't want that, you know, um, at the end of the day. So (laughs) when they're saying saying build back better, yeah, (laughs) realize it's actually build back worse. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's true. Um, now the other thing that I wanted to mention about the podcast quickly was, um, Oh, I just lost my track. My, my thought. Your train of thought. This happens. (laughs) (laughs) I got the caregiver brain. brain (laughs) And that's a thing. Um, That's a thing. That is, that is a thing. But, um, you know, we have now we've grown to about what? 10,000 over 10,000 women or supporters in our community. I think we're at like 12,000 between the private discussion group of 2000 women that share so much. And, um, you know, the caregiving crisis was, I hate to use the the word burden. You know, a lot of women felt like they were pushed into a corner because, because they love their partners. And that's the biggest thing is like the, the human experience of sticking it out with your partner through a spinal cord injury is extremely challenging. Like it is like mind bending. You think a Rubik's cubes are tough? Try this girl. But you know, so many women were really feeling like they didn't have any supports and not even just the financial 
are, I feel like, you know, I have to be extremely grateful and extremely proud of this community because we, we were still going, we still had the virtual meetups and the open discussion forums for women to come and share their thoughts and feelings and experiences. And at the end of the day, sense of community is the biggest thing that we can have as human beings and be a part of is being able to support each other through a community that understands. And I'm just extremely grateful for that. We've met some pretty incredible human beings um, running WAG since 2017. We've learned so much. And, you know, we began this group as sort of, um, I want to say an outlet for us, right? Because there was so much we didn't know. Like 2017, Dan was just injured in 2016. For, For us, the tone of what we were learning from the rehab and hospitals was very different than the lived experience from women who have been doing this for 30 years. And I think that's the other thing, you know, going back to what you were saying about nursing, how, how women have to go in and get their nursing degrees and apply through a nursing company to get hired. It's, it's very different to have textbook experience than it is to have lived experience, especially when you're just, you know, you're thrown into dealing with things like pressure sores or autonomic dysreflexia with your partner and the symptoms to look out for. You can read about it as much as you want, but experience having that experience with your partner is very different. It's very real. And I think there's tremendous value in that. Some things can't be taught. So, you know, I just want to say whoever is listening, shout out to you for making it through a pandemic. And I feel that, um, you know, for the first time in a very long time, every single person on the planet has been affected in some way. And that's something that we have to keep in mind is that we've all just gone through an absolute shitstorm in our own ways. Mm-hmm. And we're still here to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I honestly, like, I don't know what we would have done without the sisterhood and without something to focus on that was doing something good during all of this. You know, that was my thing is like, I just wanted to focus on something other than Mm -hmm. the world crashing around us and kind of getting that critical thinking hat on and just being like, okay, what can I focus on that actually makes sense? And WAGS was a big one of those things. And so, yeah, a big thank you to all the women who have been listening and following and kind of growing with us during this really unstable time. It looks like there is definitely some light at the end of the tunnel soon. And I know a lot of us have so much resilience now, so much resilience training that we would have never had, had we not gone through such a crazy time. Um, Yeah, it's just, it's really mind blowing. And I know we mentioned that in the post live, we mentioned how important it is to get resources from, you know, your sisters, your, your, your co-caregivers, your co-sisterhood that are responsible for giving you so much information that you wouldn't have known without them. And it's the best resource, other women like us. So if you want to, again, if you want to watch the live or you want to read the transcript, transcript, you can go to washingtonpost.com slash Washington dash post dash live forward slash. 
and you can check it out and they have the full transcripts and it's really, really awesome. So it's called The Caregiving Crisis. You can also search it on Google and it's probably easier to find it that way because they do a lot of live videos. But we are really thankful to the Washington Post for taking this on and for bringing some awareness to this. Um, This is definitely a crisis. It is, in my opinion, something that can be prevented next time with the appropriate levels of awareness and support and women like us using our voices. Let's get loud here. Like this is something that now Mm -hmm. is the time for us to open up our, 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 um, our little voice chakras there and let, let everyone have it. Let them know what's going on. Let people know what's actually happening because there is a lot of receptivity from people who want the best for society right now. You know, you've got all your corrupt politicians, you've got all that, but there's another side to this. There's people who actually care out there that are wanting to hear what is happening and how to prevent things from happening again. And so we would encourage all of you guys, no matter how uncomfortable it is to use your voices and share your perspectives even if it's just to one person, the trickle down effect is real. Um, you can change lives just by speaking your truth. And that's why it's so important. And so that's right. Right. Speak, speak your truth. Even if your voice (laughs) shakes. Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. Those are some of the most powerful moments to be quite honest. (laughs) Yeah. It's very true. It's very true. And, you know, there's a lot of truth to be spoken right now. And you will never lose if you speak something that is truthful. And uh, we always like to, like, kind of bring that statement home um, at the end of the day. Being authentic and truthful is something that's very important. And so, again, yeah, thank you to the Washington Post for helping us once again and spreading the word about WEGS. We've been incredibly lucky with their support over the years. We also have our other two Washington Post articles on our website if you're interested in that on the media page. If you want to read about how WEGS got started and also their coverage on the caregiving crisis when they did the 15-page article and video about caregivers during the pandemic. So they've done a really good job on highlighting that for us. So Mm -hmm. thank you. Um, And if you want to contact us and if you want to share your perspective and open your voice up to us, we would love, love, love your feedback on this episode. We would love to hear your stories about the pandemic, caregiving, whatever you want to share with us. Caregivers Awareness Month is coming up soon this November. And if any of you out there are listening and are feeling called to sharing your experience or providing some support or feedback or want to be on the podcast and share your stories, we would love to hear from you. You can email us wigsofsci at gmail.com anytime, 24-7. We're always online. Absolutely. So until next time, love each other and take care of yourselves. Cheers. Cheers.